Praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in those great songs today. Congregation, you were singing well. I'd love to hear your voices as we worship the Lord together. Praise the Lord. Thought you ought to know about some things that happened in the life of the church over the last nine days. A week ago Friday, uh, we had the funeral service of Joanna Trotter, who always sat right up here on the second row, first service, taught Sunday school class, member here for over 40 years. And uh, she passed away. We had her funeral on Friday. Our ladies provided a funeral meal for her family. Then uh, Tuesday, we, had, uh, we were in, attended the funeral service of Angie Beam's mother. Uh, she was buried in the Catholic cemetery up in Yellow Springs. Angie is my sister-in-law, and uh, her mother passed away. Wednesday, I officiated at the funeral of Arlene Morgan. Her daughters are here today, Cheryl and Diane. Arlene was a wonderful Christian lady for many, many years, church pianist back in the day. Her husband, Sam, had been a Greene County Sheriff's deputy. He passed away three years ago. We had her funeral on Wednesday. And then just yesterday, a memorial service for Janet Drake. And uh, that was here in the sanctuary. Uh, good attendance and a wonderful tribute to Janet and to her Savior, Jesus. Our ladies provided fellowship meals for three of those four funerals. Offered to do all four, but uh, one family declined, and uh, we appreciate everyone that's worked together through those uh, funeral experiences and the prayers of our church family for one another. No, you know probably that Wednesday afternoon, two students of the Greene County Career Center uh, were killed in a car accident out on Hilltop Road. Pastor Nathan, moved by the Holy Spirit, provided a community prayer vigil Friday night in place of the fifth quarter after the football game. And there were nearly 500 people in our gym across the street in the Xenia Community Center for that very solemn service. But Pastor Nathan had the opportunity to preach the word to students and adults who attended that. And we appreciate the ministries of our church that are happening. Sometimes you don't even know about it when you come in on Sunday, but uh, the wonderful things that are happening through the life of our church, and we're so glad that you're a part of it. If you're just attending, there are ways you can get involved in ministry. I believe that the Christians who grow the best serve the best. You have to find a place of service, a place uh, to be involved, and that helps you in your spiritual growth. We're still continuing the series, Foolproof. Pastor Mark's out of town, as I mentioned, and so I'm continuing that. He said he could probably go through the end of the year. He probably won't have that many sermons on Foolproof, but he could because there's so much good stuff in the Word that can help us foolproof our lives. I own a diesel truck. It's actually a Ford Excursion, the biggest SUV that Ford makes. It has a 7.3 liter diesel power stroke engine in it. And uh, mine's in pretty good shape. I pull a travel trailer with it, and it does well. But I've looked online at a lot of other trucks, and there are now companies that are doing, doing what's called bulletproofing. They will bulletproof a truck. They'll bulletproof the transmission. They'll bulletproof the engine and guarantee a couple 300,000 miles of use out of that engine and transmission once it's been bulletproof. Of course, it costs several thousand dollars to do that, but they're saying that if you entrust your truck into 
into our lives, into our shop, we will bulletproof it and you'll get much more use out of it. Well, I think that Jesus is saying the same thing to us. If you'll entrust your life to me, I will foolproof your life. I'll help you through my word, through my instruction. I'll help you to foolproof your life. Ever since Pastor Mark started that series, this series on foolproof, the second Sunday of September, I thought that this story about an atheist needed to be told. You may have heard it. This atheist was upset that all of the holidays that he got time off for seemed to have religious roots. Of course, there's July 4th, Memorial Day. They're more patriotic, but a lot of the holidays had religious roots, and he resented that as an atheist because he basically had no religion. He didn't believe in God. He didn't mind having the day off on all those religious holidays, but he didn't think it was fair that religious folks had so many holidays while atheists had none. So he went on a campaign. He even took his campaign through the courts to get a day set aside for atheists to celebrate their beliefs. He appeared before a judge in the highest court and pled his case, asking the judge to decide in his favor. The judge heard all of his arguments and finally said, well, sir, truth is there's already a day set aside for you to recognize and celebrate your beliefs. It's not an actual holiday, federal holiday with time off, but there is a day that you should celebrate. It's called April Fool's Day. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That was pretty good uh, teaching, pretty good truth for that man to hear. April Fool's Day. Now, next time you have April Fool's Day, you can celebrate it the traditional way by playing pranks on people and telling jokes, but uh, you won't have any uh, used to celebrate it as a day where we say there is no God. Uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Nathan had a couple sermons in there through the summer on the Summer on the Mount. Took the Sermon on the Mount and went through those three chapters in Matthew. Pastor Nathan preached the last sermon in that series on September 1st, and then Pastor Mark started foolproof the following Sunday. I realized that one passage in the Sermon on the Mount qualifies for both of those series, the Sermon on the Mount and the Foolproof series. It's at the very end of Matthew chapter 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been preaching pretty much all day to the crowds that gathered. Matthew and Luke specifically tried to remember and recap now, Luke wasn't there. He had to hear it from someone else. But Matthew was an eyewitness to the Sermon on the Mount. And they tried to recapture what Jesus taught in that one-day preaching festival. And Jesus gave us so much truth. He expounded on the law. He gave us practical truth for holy living. Uh, some amazing teaching. And Pastor Mark and Pastor Nathan took us through that this summer. But this very ending parable in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, give us one of Jesus' most famous parables, one that you all know, probably one that most of you could retell. If I said, okay, we're going to take a minute, everybody pair off, and you tell this parable to someone else, just about everybody would get it right. And before we read it, though, we're going to test the memory of some of us older folks here. Anybody remember this song? We're going to show it on the video, and I want you to sing along with us. 
Somebody else said it should say splat. The house on the sand went splat. Smash is an action, splat is a sound. Anyway, you remember, many of you remember that song. If you didn't know it before, maybe it'll be one of those you can't get out of your head for a while. Right? We hardly need to read the scripture after hearing that song because we know the parable. But let's look at it from the New International Version, the Word of God. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, stop right there. Jesus has been preaching pretty much all day. He's given them three chapters of sermon. Now, he didn't preach in chapters, but somebody who got hold of the Word of God divided it into chapters so we could read it easier. They even put verse numbers in there. Jesus has been preaching all day. Remember the Beatitudes? Remember the one about... The law says this, but I say, judge not lest you be judged. Remember the birds of the air and how they don't buy or, or spend, they, but God feeds them. The, the lilies of the field, they don't grow their own clothes, but God makes them beautiful. All this truth that Jesus has been teaching in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. Now, everyone was, that was there heard these words. They heard what he said. He's wrapping it up now. He's coming to the end. And I venture to say that everyone here today has heard the words of Jesus. You've heard his words. You've read them. You've heard them proclaimed in sermons, Sunday school lessons, Bible studies, conversations with fellow Christians. You have heard the words of Jesus. It's not enough just to hear the words. That's what he's saying here. So, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's the key, isn't it? Who puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And when the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Simple parable. Probably no one asked Jesus, what did that story mean? Remember when he talked about the sower sowing the seed? Some of it fell on good soil, some on rocky soil, some on shallow soil, and so on. After that parable, they said, what, what does this story mean, Jesus? He, they had to have it explained. No one needed this one explained. 
They realized if you build on the rock, if you find a firm foundation, your house stands. If you get in a hurry and build on shifting sand, your house will fall. The concept seems so simple, but when we try to put it into practice in our real lives, we often fall short. In fact, many of us might say that during our lifetimes, we have actually been both a wise builder and a foolish builder. I mean, just look back on your life. No matter how old you are, even teenagers can look back and say, yeah, there have been times when I've built in a wise way, and there's been times when I've built my life in a foolish way. So we've probably all been both wise and foolish builders. But the emphasis today is on being a wise builder and continuing to build wisely in our lives. You don't get a break from building your life. You don't take vacation from it. You're always building one way or another. It kind of reminds me of parenting. Once you become a parent, you're a parent. Yeah, for the rest of your life, you're a parent. Whether you're a good parent or a bad parent or somewhere in between, you're still a parent. You can't say, could I have three weeks off from being a parent? Could I have a sabbatical? I need a sabbatical from being a parent. How about just one day off? That'd be enough. How about a federal holiday for parents? No. Once a parent, always a parent. Now, they don't always listen to you as much as they once did, but you still have an influence. You, you still have some, uh, some clout in what your children do, even when they're adults. Sometimes they still want to know your opinion. Now, teenagers, we know that you already know it all, so we encourage you to get out of the house now while you still know it all and start your lives, okay? Because otherwise, you're going to stick around and realize you don't know it all after all. You'll have to ask somebody for some advice. But we don't get a break from parenting. We don't get a break from building. You can't just say, oh, man, I'm tired of building my life. I'm just going to sit around and do nothing. Well, if you decide to do that, your building's going to deteriorate very quickly. It won't last. You have to keep building. We're always building our lives, and we must consider the benefits of being a wise builder and the consequences of being a foolish builder. Now, I think everybody knows what it means to build on the rock. That means you have to go down to a firm foundation. So when you just build a house on soil where there is no rock, you make your own rock right? That's what they call a footer or a foundation. That's why most houses either have a slab, that's the rock, or they have a crawl space, so there's like cinder block in footers with a foundation or base, or there's a basement. But somehow we make our own rock in those situations. We don't just throw up the house we're going to live in on the ground. It doesn't last. The foundation or, or the whatever material you use to build that house on just ground or soil will soon deteriorate. You have to have a foundation. And so I got to thinking about skyscrapers. What all does it take to build a skyscraper? Now, the tallest building in downtown Dayton is only 30 stories. We know that the, the World Trade Center towers, some of the big buildings in Chicago, there are several buildings in Dubai over in the United Arab Emirates that are mega skyscrapers. Uh, tens of stories, up in uh, to 100 stories or more. And a story is usually about 10 feet uh, when they figure a building. So a 30-story building in Dayton is actually 400 and some feet. 
but it's a little more than 10 feet per story. But to build a mega skyscraper, how deep do they have to go? Let me read to you this paragraph that I found. Though they may seem to fit on a normal foundation just like any other building, skyscrapers require a well-planned structure to anchor them to the ground. To prevent natural forces from toppling them over, mega-tall structures need a lower center of gravity achieved by digging deep into the ground to find a soil sturdy enough to hold the weight of the building. For some of the world's tallest buildings, that means digging as deep as 85 meters. Now, some of you were quickly thinking, meters are close to yards. Three inches more than a yard is a meter. So, three feet to every meter plus a little extra. We're already talking like 275 feet deep. That's deep, folks. That's a 20-story building underground. So, 85 meters deep, it all starts with the search for bedrock. Now, some of you are thinking, if I found bedrock, there'd be Wilma and Betty and Fred and Barney, right? Not that bedrock, okay? The bedrock that you're looking for. Now, if they build these skyscrapers in Dubai, that's desert country. Now, I know it's a city, but it's desert country. Where are they going to find a rock? That's really building your house on the sand over there. That's why they have to have such a superstructure underground. I went on my GPS and went to satellite view, and that site is still just a hole with the cap, with the foundation cap. It's still not a building. That's an artist's rendering. So it's already been in process for three years, and it's not finished yet. It takes a while to get down to the bedrock and prepare things to build something in a wise way. A lot of things have to happen before the building can begin. Think about things like excavation, drilling, blasting, things being driven into the ground, embedded, removed. You can't start a building project until the other stuff has been removed. Anchored, secured, reinforced. Now, I've heard of rebar, and I've even seen them put those cages of rebar in the road where they're going to pour concrete uh, to repair or, or build a road. But I've never seen rebar cages like what they put down in there. That was amazing. Then they pour tons and tons of concrete down in there. And, and the concrete is reinforced. That's why they call it rebar. It's reinforced. And, and they, so they've built their own foundation. They've built their own rock on which to build the building. You know, often in our lives, when we think of those words I read a moment ago, like excavate, removal, uh, reinforcement, drilling, blasting, many times that's the way it feels like our life is going. When we try to go deeper with God and build our lives on the rock, it seems like a lot of work has to happen. We have to allow God to do His work in our lives if we're going to build on the rock. Wise building always includes a plan. There always has to be a plan. You can't just say, well, you know, New Year's is coming up. I'll just write out some res resolutions. Well, that might be a plan, but you're not going to be able to carry those out on your own. 
You can't just come to an altar at the end of the service and say, okay, pastor, I made a decision. From now on, I'm not going to sin anymore. Nice decision, but it won't last without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't say, I'm going to grip my teeth and try harder, and I'm not going to give in to those temptations anymore. It doesn't work like that. There has to be a plan. And God has given us His blueprint for building our lives, His holy word. If we read it, if we hear it, if we receive it, if we accept it and apply it to our lives, we can begin to build on the rock. He has a plan for us. There's a lot of preparation that has to happen. Many times He has to tear down what we've built, right? Did that happen when you came to Christ? He said, well... Thanks for giving me a chance, but I'm going to have to take some things out that you've been building over the years. Now, here's the deal. Don't try to remove all that stuff before you come to Christ. I've heard all kinds of people say, well, you know, I wouldn't be comfortable in church. I've got too much bad stuff in my life. I have to change first, or I have to get rid of some of these habits before I can come to Christ. No, 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 no. Why do we sing, just as I am, at Billy Graham Crusades? And at altar calls sometimes. Because we come to Christ just as we are. We don't clean up our act first. We don't tear down the old buildings first. We submit to Him and give Him permission to clean up our lives and to remove those old buildings that we've built. There's a lot of preparation that has to happen. But God helps us with the preparation. Wise building also includes counting the cost. Anybody ever remember a TV evangelist named Ernest Ainsley? Does that ring a bell for anybody? Ernest Ainsley, he's from Akron, Ohio. And I pastored up near Akron, not too far from there. And I remember we went to a banquet in Akron, and we went past this deal that was kind of Ernest Ainsley's headquarters. And there was this tower that went up about 30 feet, and you could tell it was unfinished. And it was a tower that Ernest Ainsley had built in memorial to his wife who had passed away. Of course, everybody wanted to know, How'd your wife pass away? You're a faith healer. How, how come you didn't heal her? How come she didn't get well? How did she die? But anyway, he built this memorial tower, and he ran out of money. His TV ministry kind of folded. His donations weren't coming in, and he didn't have enough money to finish the tower. And so everybody that drove past that kind of went, Ernest Ainsley didn't have enough money to finish his project. Should have planned a little bit better. Should have counted the cost. And the Bible tells us that. If you're going to build something, count the cost. Otherwise, you may not have enough to finish it, and you'll be the laughingstock of all those who pass by. Wise building requires counting the cost. Wise building always includes not only the right foundation, but the quality building materials. You can have the best foundation possible. I mean, look at the story of the three little pigs, right? I mean, we didn't learn these little stories for nothing. One pig built his house out of sticks, right? One pig built his house out of straw. That was a bad idea. Yeah, they didn't count the cost, and they didn't use good building materials. But one pig built his house with bricks, and the other two pigs came over to live with him, I think, when they ran away from the wolf. So the right building materials are important. That's why we have to have 
biblical resources to help our lives. We need to hear sermons and Sunday school lessons, small group interaction. We need to read the Word and have our devos or devotions. We need good quality building materials in our lives. Wise building includes listening to others. There are advisors in our lives that we need. There are people that have more experience in these building projects than we do. There are people who have already come through that stage of building their lives, and they can help us if we'll listen to them. Wise building always has the right contractor, the right superintendent on the job, the right boss, and we know who our contractor is. Jesus, the builder who gives us the wisdom that we need. Wise building includes perseverance, even in difficulty, delays, or disaster. Sometimes our building projects won't go right. We'll get behind. Something may happen that almost destroys our building. But with perseverance and with God's help, we can rebuild or we can keep going, even in the midst of difficulty. And wise building always will result in victories, in joys, and in great benefits. I don't have to emphasize foolish building because it's just the opposite of all that. If we focus on wise buildings and how we should build our lives, then we'll be equipped to please the Lord and build life on a foundation that will please Him. Now, I know some people like steps. Pastor Mike, can you just give me some steps? I'll jot these down maybe. You can see them on the screen, thanks to Amy up there. But some people like to hear steps. So I, I've got five steps. I'm not going to say five easy steps. I'm just going to say this is the way I flesh it out. The first foundational step is give your life to Christ. <laughs> how, how could you get any more foundational than that? If you want to build your house on the rock, if you want to be a wise builder, then turn yourself over to Jesus. That's the starting point for all of us. Because when we try to build our own lives, we mess up. We have shabby looking buildings, buildings that won't last, buildings that are defective. But when we say, here, Lord, I don't have much to offer, and I've already made a mess in some ways, but here, I give you myself. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Take over, Lord. Take my life. That's number one foundation. Number two, give him full control. Submit to his plans. Submit to his blueprint. He has a blueprint for your life. It's not always revealed to us all at one time. Sometimes step by step. Look at the faith of a man named Abraham in the Old Testament. God called Abraham to go to a land he didn't know. Uh, he didn't even know where he was going. Abraham, do you believe me? Yes, Lord. Okay, then pack up all your belongings and your family, all your livestock, and follow me. Where are we going, Lord? I'll show you. Yeah, but can't you be a little more specific? You're going to a land you don't know, and I'll show you. There wasn't one of those uh, posts that had all the arrows on it that said 500 miles to this and 200 miles. That He didn't have GPS. There weren't any McDonald's arches or rest areas on the way. He just had to follow God. Talk about faith. Where are we going, Lord? I'll show you. And we want it all laid out in advance. In fact, sometimes we lay it all out in advance. Here, Lord, this is the blueprint of my life. Isn't that impressive? Here, Lord, I've got it all worked out. I want to do this, this, and this by then, then, and then. And Lord, if you'll just sign the bottom of this, 
I'll give you this contract and we'll make this work. God takes that contract. He wads it up. He gets out a clean sheet of paper. He says, Mike, sign your name at the bottom. I'll fill in the rest. Right? I sign my name in advance. He fills in the details. His blueprint, not mine. We submit to his plan. The third one is we, make, we let him make the necessary removal, excavation, drilling, blasting. Whatever he needs to do, do he gets to make the corrections. Now that's not easy because we want to run our own lives. We want to be in control. We want to be boss. We, you know, we're down here, Lord. You're way up there. Wherever you are, you're kind of out of touch from time to time. You don't know what it's like. Yes, he does. He knows exactly what it's like. He created us for a purpose so we could have fellowship with him. He wants to help us in every area of our lives. And many times he knows things need to be removed, excavated. Sometimes there's a little blasting that has to happen to get our attention. A lot of corrections to get our house in order as we build on the firm foundation. Number four is listen to him. Listen to God. Now, if I ask for a show of hands of who's ever heard the audible voice of God, we might have three or four people in here that would sheepishly say, I believe I have. I, I believe I've actually heard him speak out loud to me. Most of us wouldn't be able to say that. But if we're listening with spiritual ears, we can always hear what God is saying. He speaks through his word. He speaks through our conscience, through our thoughts. He speaks through friends and mentors and other influencers in our lives. God is still speaking. Are we in tune? Are we quiet enough to listen? Listen to him. That's why the word says, be still and know that I am God. Listen to my voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Do you know his voice? Have you heard it lately? As he speaks to you in that still, small way, we have to be quiet enough. We have to turn off all the media and all the other people and focus on him. Listen to him. And not only listen to God and the voice of Christ, but listen to others who are wiser than you. Does anybody know, any, anyone in here know someone wiser than you? Let me see your hand. All right. Anybody in here, you're the wisest person you know. Let me see your hand. Yeah, I've driven with some of you in traffic. Yeah. Yeah. You know it all, right? Not true. There are always people in our lives that are wiser than we are. Have you given someone permission to speak truth into your life? You know, every single human being needs to have someone, maybe even more than one, but at least one person who can boldly speak truth into their lives. Someone who can say, be careful what you tweet. Someone who can say, be careful how you spend your money. Someone who can say, you shouldn't go there. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't act that way. Now, I know everybody's not a sports fan, but I lived in Nashville for 25 years, and the Tennessee Titans came there during my tenure. They had been the Houston Oilers. They came and played one season in Memphis. Then they finally settled in 
in Nashville, and they were called the Tennessee Oilers for maybe one or two seasons. Then we came up with this name Titans, the Tennessee Titans. And I was kind of excited when we got this, this amazing player from West Virginia University. I grew up in West Virginia, so I thought that's cool. We're getting this, this great prospect out of WVU, and he's going to play for the Titans. I had heard that he was really, really fast. He was a receiver. He was a punt returner. He was a kickoff returner. Super fast. Not a big, heavy, tall guy. Short, compact, really fast. And a lot of you have heard of him because he turned out to be a bust. Adam Pac-Man Jones. He came to Nashville with a big signing bonus and a big contract. And he immediately got in with the wrong people. Started going to the wrong places. Uh, hanging out in, in bars and clubs carrying a weapon. He, he fired shots in a bar one time. He had his entourage beat up some people. I mean, he just went crazy. He got his money and his freedom. He was now an adult with a, a real job, he thought, and he could do what he wanted to do. Now, let me just throw in a, a quick sermonette for our young people especially, and, and for some of you that are not so young. Nothing really good happens after midnight. Are you listening to me? So when the newspaper reported that Adam Pacman Jones and his entourage had been arrested, it was always like one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. We had a quarterback down there named Steve McNair. He was pulled over for drunk driving. He had a wife and two kids at home. He was pulled over for being intoxicated at one o'clock in the morning. So what's a married guy doing out by himself in a car at a bar getting drunk and then trying to drive home at one o'clock in the morning? Oh man, he's a party animal, dude. He's a married man with two kids. Why is he out after midnight by himself doing that? Nothing very good happens after midnight. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Men love darkness. You know, it's dark after midnight, right? In most places. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. We like to do bad things at, at night, after midnight, in the dark, because somehow we think they'll be hidden. But the Bible kind of gives us the impression that all things are going to be brought to the light eventually. And so Adam Pacman Jones made a mess of his life. Yes, he could run fast. Yes, he could catch the ball. But he had millions of dollars and didn't know what to do with it. And he didn't have anybody in that entourage that could say, dude, straighten up. Don't go there. Don't spend your money there. Don't act like that. Don't say that. Don't do that anymore. Let me ask you, do you have somebody in your life that can do that to you? I mean, besides your mom. But once you get about 13 or 15, you don't even listen to mom that much. Because, mom, you know, mom's out of touch. And then when you get to be about 30, you say, my mom was so smart. Man, she was the most brilliant person I know. But we all need someone who can get in our face. Anybody remember David Hasselhoff? Baywatch, Knight Rider, all that? Okay. David Hasselhoff needed someone in his life that would say, David, don't ever sing in public again. <laughs> Find him on YouTube and you'll see what I mean. He was a hit in Europe. 
but he was terrible. We all need someone. You know, I've got a wife that says, Michael, don't do that. Now, sometimes I listen to her and sometimes I don't. We all need someone that can speak truth into our lives. Our politicians, athletes, celebrities, everybody needs someone who can speak truth to power. Because many times those people are in power and they don't want to listen to anybody. Oh, they've got their yes men. But once the yes man disagrees with him, you're fired. And someone new is hired who will play along with the system. We need someone who will speak truth into our lives. Look at this graphic from one of the Proverbs. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Now, I realize the key word there is constructive. Some people just like to criticize. Some people are real good at destructive criticism. I'm talking about criticism that will help you. Criticism isn't necessarily negative. There are movie critics who just go on and on about great movies and say nothing negative about them. But there are also times when movie critics say, that was the worst movie I've ever seen. Simon Cowell is a pretty good critic, right? On the America's Got Talent or whichever one he's on. He's really good at putting a person down, but he's also pretty good at building someone up. We need constructive criticism in our lives, and we need to give someone or some people permission to give us that from time to time. And you might be that person for someone else. If you love them enough, if you want what's best for them, you might have the opportunity to speak truth into their lives if they'll give you permission. Number five is this, walk in His way and do His will. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? You've heard that over and over in church. Walk God's way. Do God's will. As simple as it sounds, it's not easy. But as we're building our lives on the rock, as we're trying to be wise in this building process, we must walk the way He wants us to walk and do the will that He has for us. Jesus is the rock. There's an old song that Becky and I used to sing together. We used to sing it in church. It goes like this. You can sing along if you know it. This rock is Jesus. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Jesus is the rock on which we build. He's the foundation on which every life should be built. He is the stabilizing force in every situation, good weather or lousy weather. He is the stabilizing force. He keeps us grounded and anchored to something much deeper and much stronger than ourselves, much more solid than anything we could ever build. He is the rock. And when we turn it over to Him and let Him have control, we can be wise builders and He will make something of our lives that will glorify Him. Let's bow our heads. Lord, You've given us so much practical instruction in Your Word. Thank You for the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Thank You for the words of the Proverbs. We've been studying these passages for the last four and a half months, and it's been rich. Thank You, Lord for our 
senior pastor Mark Atherton and our student pastor Nate Chrisman and the wonderful communicators they are of your word when they convey what your message is to us. We're thankful that we can hear your word and put it into practice. That's what wise builders do. So help us, Lord, even when it's difficult, even when we may not understand, even when we have to, to uh, exercise a great deal of faith, help us to put your words into practice in our everyday lives, trusting you that you will bring about the good results that we want to see. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless the sacrament of communion that's been prepared for us. We're thankful, Lord, that this is the table of the Lord. It's not the table of the church. It's not the table of this denomination. It's the table of the Lord, and it is made ready for those who love Him and for all those who want to love Him more. And so I invite these people to come today. I invite you to come who have much faith, and I invite you to come who have little faith. I invite you to come if you've been here often, and I invite you to come if you've not been here very long. I invite those of you who have tried to follow to come, and I invite those of you who have failed to come. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you, not me. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. And so, Lord, we offer up these gifts of communion, the bread which represents your broken body, and the unfermented wine which represents your blood. We offer these up to you and ask that you would sanctify them to our bodies so that we will remember that we must be broken so that we can be filled to serve you better. Bless those who will come to pray at the altars. Bless those who will receive the Holy Sacrament and help us, Lord, to apply these truths to our lives to be equipped to serve you better. We love you and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.